I'm going to get your Bibles out. Turn to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. There are many times in life when uh, we have different events that kind of open our eyes to our missteps, our mistakes, the things that we've done wrong. Uh, and we might use the phrase, uh, you know, somebody saw the writing on the wall. We, might, we use that sometimes with our jobs, right? If there's a situation in our, our job that leads us to believe it's a good time to leave because bad things are coming, we might see the writing on the wall and get out of there. Um, but, but that phrase, of course, goes back to the, the passage that we're going to be studying tonight in the book of Daniel. Uh, and, and it's an important idea that uh, we see God working in the kingdoms of men again. That's what we've seen throughout this book, right? God is working in the kingdoms of men. God has been working with King Nebuchadnezzar to help form him, to help him to understand that he is not everything, uh, but that God is the one who is in control. God is the one who set up Nebuchadnezzar, who gave him everything, and God is the one who can take it all away. Last time we studied the book of Daniel, we saw Nebuchadnezzar looking like a wild animal uh, as he was out in the, the woods eating the grass, and his hair was crazy, his nails were crazy, and, and God did that to him because of his pride and his arrogance. And so as we study through as we study through Daniel, uh, the the character Nebuchadnezzar has uh, developed, and and we've really hopefully learned the lesson about the pride and the arrogance of men, and and the comparison of a proud and arrogant man versus God, and how that's going to go. Uh, unfortunately, though, we don't always get the message. Uh, and unfortunately, lessons that are taught to us by the experiences of others are not handed down and, and, and received so well. And, and so as we go through life, we might hear of instances like Solomon who is constantly grasping at the wind, and we might think, oh yeah, that, that's an important lesson to learn, but we just have to try it ourselves. We just have to pursue those things and see if those things are going to give us any satisfaction or anything like that. Well, as we open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, we see that this is a lesson we really want to learn before falling into. Uh, that pride is something that all of a sudden can lead to our downfall, lead to our destruction, as it does with a king that descended from Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. Uh, as you go through the annals of Babylonian history, you learn that Nebuchadnezzar's son, Evil Merodach, was, uh, was a king uh, for a period of time, and, and then he had a son who also was a king, and, and he co-ruled with Belshazzar. He was off uh, enjoying life while Belshazzar was the king over the city of Babylon. And, and that Belshazzar is who we read about and we study about in Daniel chapter 5. And Daniel is still alive at the time of this king. Uh, so he's outlived Nebuchadnezzar, and he's outlived other kings. Uh, but as we come to Daniel chapter 5, it just kind of skips us on ahead. It, it blows past all the history information about how Belshazzar came to be the king, and it goes right to uh, a grand feast with Belshazzar presiding over the feast and a, a thousand people gathered together from his kingdom to celebrate this feast. And they break out their wine and, and they're just having a jubilant celebration. And, and Belshazzar has a great idea. He decides, hey, let's get those uh, cups, those fine, beautiful uh, cups 
that were brought in from Jerusalem. You know, the temple there that didn't have any gods. They just had all these cups and all these instruments. Let's bring those cups in. Of, of gold and 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 let's let's drink from them and enjoy them and and celebrate our dominance as a nation that we've conquered all of these other nations and that they've been subdued by us and all of our strength and so you could just imagine the scene they're there in this beautiful banquet hall everybody's cutting up everybody's having fun they're drinking alcohol they're getting a little bit uh, tipsy and and over the top and enjoying themselves so much but as they're doing that and celebrating and worshiping the gods of gold and the gods of silver and wood and all those different gods, drinking their cups from the temple in Jerusalem, a hand, or fingers from a hand, starts writing something on the wall. And there's no body attached to this hand. And it's written in a, in a perfect position where Belshazzar the king notices the hand writing and everybody starts to look at this hand that's now writing on the palace wall mene mene tekel parson and everybody's looking at that now and and king belshazzar loses his countenance he's not all happy and jubilant anymore he's not all proud and arrogant and thinking he knows everything now his color has drained from him and the text says his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way, and his knees began to knock. Well, that changed quickly, didn't it? All of a sudden, everything changed. This exciting event became serious, and everybody stopped to try to figure out what is going on. So Belshazzar calls together all of his wise men, all of his astronomers and Chaldeans, and, and everybody he can call together who he's trusted in for his reign. And all of these look at the writing on the wall, and, and they're struggling. He says, okay, well, I'll give you, I'll, whoever figures this out, I'll make you third in the kingdom, and I'm going to put a gold chain around your neck and clothe you in purple, and you're going to be a royal. And still, no one is able to answer Belshazzar's question. What does the writing on the wall mean? And then a voice comes from the back and says, uh, O king, live forever. Right? This is what they say to the kings of Babylon. O king, live forever. Uh, and, and it turns out to be the voice of the king's mother, the queen. And she says, there is a man in the kingdom who is inside of him the spirit of the holy gods. He says, in the days of your father, uh, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems were, were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called. And he'll show you the interpretation. So Belshazzar has messengers sent and they rouse up Daniel and they bring Daniel in. Daniel wasn't there partying with everybody else, right? He's older in age now. And, and they bring him in and they say, Daniel, we need you to explain to us 
the writing on the wall. And the king says, and if you'll explain it to me, I'm going to give you this purple robe. I'm going to, I'm going to give you this gold necklace. And you're going to be third in all the kingdom. And Daniel says, you can keep all that stuff for yourself. <laughs> He's not interested in, in any uh, leadership position at this point. And Daniel goes through and he explains everything to Belshazzar. He sees the writing on the wall. He knows the interpretation. God has made it known to him. And he tells Belshazzar, O king, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar the greatest kingdom on the earth. He made him the greatest man on the entire earth, filled him with glory and majesty. And because of all that greatness, everybody from every nation feared him. Whoever he wanted to kill, he killed. And whoever he wanted to, to keep alive, he kept alive. He did whatever he wanted to do. And he, he, he decided to be proud and arrogant. And as a result of this, God humbled him. God took him down from his kingly throne. And he gave his glory to someone else. And he drove him away. And he made him like a beast. So Daniel relays to Belshazzar all the things that we studied back in chapter 4. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king. And yet God saw his arrogant heart and he brought him down. Then he says something very interesting. In verse 22 it says, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your, is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Daniel tells Belshazzar, you made a grave mistake. In all your pride and arrogance, you failed to learn the lesson of the kings before you and you chose arrogantly to, to blaspheme and to, uh, to pump yourself up, lift yourself up against the Lord of heaven in whose hand is your breath. Then he says in verse 24, And from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So Daniel explains to the king, Mene, is numbered. That's what that would sound like to them. Mene sounds like numbered. So it's numbered, numbered. And then tekel is weighed. So numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided is what those words mean. And so nobody could understand what numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided meant. And Daniel, after explaining the grave error that Belshazzar has made, says, 
your days have been numbered and it will be brought to an end. You, you've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. In other words, you're not measuring up, Belshazzar. You, you're, not, you're not good enough to even continue to reign in your kingdom. And then he says, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So overall, a message of judgment and doom for King Belshazzar. What's interesting is you look at all of this, is Daniel is speaking all of this, and he's somewhat respectful, but really he almost doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't say, oh, king, live forever whenever he shows up. I mean, he's not really that respectful toward the king who has just dishonored his God. And he doesn't hold anything back. He's not fearing his own life as he reveals this bad news to the king. Daniel has never feared sharing bad news to the king. And as you look at this and you read this chapter, you learn this story, there's a huge contrast between Belshazzar and Daniel. You think about Belshazzar, you think about all of his pride, what does that teach us? Well, first of all, it teaches us that a lot of times we tend to think too much of ourselves. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar uh, over and over again. He thought too much of himself. He thought he knew that no god could deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He thought, oh, look at this great kingdom that I have built up for myself and, and all of that. And, and he could have lost it in a day. So he thought too much of himself. Do you ever think too much of yourself? How often do you think too much of yourself? Pretty easy to do, is it not? You look at somebody else, you're not as good as me. I mean, that's as simple as it is. That's all it takes. <laughs> and now here we are thinking much of ourselves. Pride and arrogance is just so easy to do. To just think we know better than other people is a proud and arrogant thing. And we got to be careful about that and, and have some degree of humility and understanding our limitations. Maybe it is a true statement. I'm better than you at such and such. But still, within that can be pride. And pride, is, as it's been laid out in the book of Daniel, is, is something that's constantly there that's just waiting to take root, that Satan is constantly using against us and trying to build up in us. He wants us to think too much of ourselves because if we do that, we break the second greatest commandment. We fail to love others as ourselves. We fail to love others as Jesus has loved us. The more we think of ourselves, the less we think of other people. And the more likely it is that we will lash out against them in a way that is unjust and unrighteous. And also, as we look at Belshazzar and his pride, we see that pride is something that can push us to the point where we forget the lessons that we've learned. Belshazzar has known the, the decree of Nebuchadnezzar. What we read back in chapter 4 that was Nebuchadnezzar's uh, proclamation, that apparently had been taught through the generations. That was known, well known throughout the kingdom of Babylon that the God of, of Daniel, the most high God, is a God who has the power to humble the greatest king who has ever lived on the earth. And Belshazzar forgot it? How could anybody forget that, right? I mean, well, 
Have you ever forget, forgotten some lesson or, or had to relearn things that you've already learned so many times before, right? We do that all the time. But as you see this, the pride that's in him uh, pushes him to, to you know, push the envelope, to try to go even further and, and see what he can get away with. He's, he's pushed it and pushed it and pushed it to the point where he is now confident enough to drink from the cups that came from Jerusalem in complete blasphemy of the Most High God who humbled his grandfather. We see in this, as God has said, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, that Belshazzar's pride is going to lead to his destruction. And what's interesting is you continue reading verse 29. It says, Then Belshazzar gave the command... And Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. Notice he goes forward with rewarding Daniel, though Daniel said, I don't want any of it. And it doesn't really mean anything, uh, because verse 30 says that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So all of that proclamation was meaningless. It turns out this whole time, Belshazzar is throwing this huge party with a thousand people. The Medes and the Persians are outside of the city walls coming in. And they, they, they actually, it's very interesting in the history, they redirect the Euphrates River that was supposed to come into Babylon and provide this lush water and, and you know, water in their gardens and everything. They redirect it and they come right in the riverbed and enter in the city and take it all over in a night. There's hardly even a battle because of this great party where everybody's so drunk, nobody really can, can make any decisions about anything, and everybody's asleep. So they come in that very night that God has written this on the wall for Belshazzar to know that his kingdom is going to be taken away from him. And his kingdom is taken away from him on that very night. That's not amazing. I don't know what it is. I mean, the, the, the ability of God to number his days and say, your time's up, and then immediately bring in the Medes and, and the Persians and conquer him. But as you look at this, you also notice Daniel. And Daniel's approach teaches us some things. He's been teaching us things throughout all of this, hasn't he? I mean, his... his conduct and his attitude as he presents the word of God is just really inspiring and encouraging. But you see he's exemplifying humility, right? He's not proud or braggadocious. He doesn't address the king as uh, may the king live forever because he doesn't, he, you know, he probably knows this king's not going to live forever. And, and yet he's, he's willing to speak to the king. He's willing to share the truth with the king. And he's going to do it in a way that shows he, he's not worried about his life. How many of us would feel okay with telling the king, you're going to die tonight? That's what the writing on the wall means. You're evil, king. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You are an unjust and wicked king. And you are about to be put to death. But Daniel is willing to do that. 
He has that much faith in God's ability to save. Remember, he's been saved in the past, right? He's been saved whenever he chose to eat the vegetables. Uh, he, he wasn't punished whenever he came forward to the king about the dream and told him about his sin. He even spoke up and said, you need to repent, king, to keep this from happening to you. So Daniel's proven himself to be a humble guy who's bold and willing to speak and say what needs to be said. But ultimately, in all of this, Daniel has the same attitude as his friends, and we're really going to see that in the next chapter. That he remembers who it is that he's serving, and he's trusting God to take care of him no matter what comes. He's just going to be the mouthpiece of God. He's a prophet. He's just going to speak the truth that was given to him by God and allow the king to make whatever decisions he wants to make, knowing my God can deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to be faithful to him in everything that I do. This is really just a short story, but we can look and see the comparison between Daniel and Belshazzar. One is a servant of the Most High God who, is, who is, uh, still has many days ahead of him, right? His days aren't numbered and coming to an end, and he has been weighed and he is found righteous, and he is not going to be divided. In fact, even though he's risen up to the third in all the kingdom, He's not going to be put to death in this night whenever the Medes and the Persians come in. You might think that's a dangerous position. It kind of sounds dangerous to me, right? You get raised up to the leadership position on the night of the invasion. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> what's going to happen to the leaders? They're going to be wiped out, right? Well, that's not what happens. As we read in chapter 6, we see Daniel instead was lifted up in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. God is able to take care of Daniel, and he's providentially worked to bring about this revelation that only serves to exalt Daniel, who doesn't even seem like he wants any exaltation. <laughs> and yet God is going to work to exalt him and lift him up in the kingdom so that he can be a useful vessel to accomplish the will of God and bring about God's glory. Ultimately, that's Daniel's function, and that's his, that's his service, that's his calling, that's his gift. And he's going to fulfill it because he appreciates God so much. So as we study this, it's a very interesting story. It, it connects so much to everything else. We've learned a lot about pride and arrogance. And over and over again, we've seen how the, pride, the prideful are falling and the humble are being lifted up. That principle that was given us in the book of James is, is definitely shown to us throughout the book of Daniel. But we see in this that we need to be the type of people who are more like Daniel who are willing to speak up humbly, but to speak up and boldly speak up and say the things that need to be said. And we need to be the type of people who do not look at our lives and think much of ourselves, like Belshazzar. That those uh, little accumulations of pride that start to come up within us, not just a pridefulness about our work, taking pride in our work and doing our best, but a pridefulness that says, I don't need God, look at all that I've done, and I'm better than you, that kind of pridefulness. How do we remove that from us? How do we get rid of it? Well, we need to understand it's something that's deeply rooted in our hearts. It's something that we will have to battle against for almost all of our lives, if not all of our lives. And that Satan is constantly working to build up inside of us to make us feel proud and arrogant toward other people. And we see that if we do this, if we pursue this life of pride, it will only lead to our destruction. So we have to avoid it. We have to understand what it is. We have to see it when it pops up within us. And we have to avoid it. It can be something as simple as just 
pushing our opinions on other people. It's something that small uh, that could be done pridefully. It could be something as simple as helping somebody else. We could do that pridefully. Uh, There's so many different ways that we could be prideful. And so we really need to attack this. Because ultimately, as servants of God, we're choosing not to be conformed to the world. The world around us is very proud and very arrogant and very selfish and self-seeking. And we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be people who are transformed with a renewed mind and a heart that resembles the heart of Christ. And so that's what, as we're reading this, we're seeing Daniel is very much a renewed mind, a renewed heart that's shining a light for everybody to see and understand. Uh, He's very Christ-like in his way of handling this conflict. He is serving Christ Uh, He's serving God faithfully by resembling Christ and kind of being like a type of Christ as he deals with those who are are wicked around him in a very honest and open way uh, and not braggadocious or anything like that. Uh, We need to pursue that kind of humility. If you've got problems or if you know somebody's doing something wrong, um, we need to approach it like Daniel, speaking boldly, but also humbly. Uh, And recognizing that somebody's got issues, well, they need to know their issues. And they need to understand those issues. And that's not an easy thing for us to do, is it? I mean, I I don't know about you. I'm not very drawn to conflict or uh, to to approaching somebody who who is strayed from the truth. But you see Daniel willing to speak, but speaking somehow in humility. And we need to pursue that as well. Uh, It's a shorter lesson tonight. This is a short story, uh, but I hope that it's been helpful for you. Hopefully you'll think about these things. Hopefully you'll think about pride a little bit deeper in your life. Uh, Consider the way that you view others. Consider the way that you view yourself and try to overcome whatever Satan's building up inside of you uh, so that you think more of others and less of yourself. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, you've not yet received the blood of Christ, why not? Uh, Has pride taken root in your heart? Do you feel as though you are righteous enough to deserve heaven or something along those lines? Well, we're learning on Romans, there is none righteous, no, not one. God has, has basically done what he's done to Belshazzar. He's done it to all of us. He said, you've been found wanting. You've been weighed in the measures and you've been found wanting. Not a single one of us have been weighed in the measures and said, oh yeah, he's good enough. No, all of us have been found wanting. And because of the blood of Christ, we can have what we're needing. He's provided salvation for those who will humble themselves and turn to him for forgiveness. Uh, So if you're here tonight and you need to humble yourself and turn to God, he is waiting with open arms, willing to help, and willing to provide all that you need. Please let us know what you need. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.